We are definitely a blessed body, aren't we? The Lord is good. How should we respond in light of the promise of Jesus' return in just judgment? How should we respond in light of the promise of Jesus' return in just judgment? That's the question for you to contemplate today. We saw last week as we're making our way through 2 Peter that the false teachers that Peter addressed and um, rebuked in chapter 2 had turned away from the holy commandment of the Lord that he had given to them in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. You see that. They were apostates, these false teachers. They had professed to believe in Jesus, but they had turned away from the Lord to indulge in their fleshly lusts and to entice other professing believers to turn away from the Lord. This is what the false teachers were all about. Peter has shown a dramatic contrast in the book so far between the true believers in chapter 1 and the false teachers and their followers in chapter 2. In chapter 1, Peter explained that believers had everything they need for life and godliness through a true knowledge of God. True believers, again, are those that are characterized by moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, Brotherly kindness and love. That's what chapter 1 talked about. That's what we look like as believers in Christ. We look different. The believers were a stark contrast to those in chapter 2. The false teachers were introducing destructive heresies, following their own sensuality, prideful, self-willed, trained in greed, reveling in deception, and having eyes full of adultery. Ultimately, the false teachers in chapter 2 did not fear God. And as we will see today, they denied a final return of Christ to judge the world. They denied that God would be a just God and would bring, would bring about retribution on sin. They denied this. The difference between the believer and the false teacher was clear. As we round that final turn and head towards home in 2 Peter... We see Peter exhorts the believers to pursue holiness through their obedience to the word and to the holy commandment of Christ. In a sense, Peter states in this last chapter, pursue your holy calling in Christ because Christ is going to return. The single greatest charge in our society against Christians is hypocrisy. The world charges believers don't look like believers. But I want to encourage you to look like a Christian. By the grace of God, pursue the Lord. And as He works through us as a knowledge of Christ, we will then demonstrate that holiness that God calls us to live in. Our passage breaks down into three sections. First, there's the reminder to take this serious the Word of God in verses 1 and 2. Then there's the reasons to take serious the Word of God. And then finally we'll see the response to the mockers of the Word of God in verses 5 through 9. Let's start. Well, today what we're going to see is we must obey the Lord despite those who deny the Lord's coming judgment. Because His just return is a guarantee. 
We must obey the Lord. Despite those who say, nope, He's not coming. Because His just return is a guarantee. He's going to come back. The Word says this. Let's start with number one. The reminder to take serious the Word of God. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. We see right away here that Peter addresses the believers as the beloved. This word that uh, I have a tendency to use often in my own sermons, I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago that I said beloved something like 25 to 50 times, which is a good thing. I need to be reminded of that. Try not to say the same thing over and over again. But beloved, listen to me, that word has a dear place in my soul. And why is that? Because it means that we are loved by God. That's an important thing to remember. As we contemplate the reality that Jesus is coming back one day and He will be a just judge, we need to know that what? We are loved by God. Otherwise, we will face a wrathful God. We who have been born again, we who have repented, we're loved by God. And we love one another. I think that's why Peter uses it. It has this idea of being loved by God and I love you in Christ. Beloved of God, take, this, take the words of God serious. This was Peter's second letter that he had written to these believers. And he talks here in this first verse of how he is wanting to stir up their minds by way of reminder. It, this literally means to wake up your mind, to stimulate your thinking, to stir up your thoughts. The Word of God is a tool that God uses to stimulate our minds. And Peter was saying, listen to me, I want you to wake up, as, the, as some say, be woke. Uh, wake up, pay attention, listen. It's very important. The Word of God stimulates us to those things. Remember that the Word of God and is a commandment from the Lord, and it calls us to remember the words of God and to be godly in light of the coming day of the Lord. This is a reminder to pursue holy obedience because the Lord is just and He is righteous, and one day He will return. Obedience to the Lord is what's called for. Look over at 1 Peter. He's already mentioned this in the first letter. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He talked about this last letter. Now he's going to repeat it again. He's going to talk about this concept of being godly and holy. of Christ's revelation. That Christ is going to come back. Now act accordingly. He says it in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope, your confident expectation completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in light of when Christ is going to come back, keep your hope, your confident expectations fixed on Him as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am 
holy. Again, beloved, this is very clear. In light of Christ's return, we are supposed to pursue holiness, to be set apart people, to be different, to be distinct, that we should show off the glory of our Father who has called us to be His children. Here Peter in chapter 2, turning back over there, says in effect, the Old Testament prophets told us, get ready for the Lord's return. The New Testament apostles relayed Jesus' promise of His return. So get ready, He is coming. Take serious the Word of God. Justice is right around the corner. The believers have a responsibility to live in a manner worthy of their calling. I guess what comes to mind is this. Are we ready for the Lord's return? What if He came back tomorrow? What if the process of His judgments began to unfold tomorrow? Are we ready? If you knew it was going to happen tomorrow, if you knew that He was coming back tomorrow, and it was going to start that process of His judgment that was going to come upon the earth, how would you respond? Would you act different today? Would you act different the rest of the day? I think this is the whole idea here, that Peter is calling the believers to understand that if we understand that God is going to return and bring just judgment, and it's coming imminently, that it could happen soon, that we're going to act totally different in our world. The false teachers were not obeying the holy commandment of the Lord, as 2 Peter 2.21 states. But Peter was saying, genuine believers should take God's word seriously. They should pursue holiness and godliness in Christ. God's word tells all of his children to pursue godliness through the true knowledge of Christ. That's what we saw in chapter 1. Believers pursue holiness not to earn salvation, but because we are saved and we know that those aren't, who aren't saved are going to face a just judge. So we live different in light of those that we're impacting. We do this because we know that God is just and He will return. As J.C. Ryle states in his book, Holiness, may we never forget that without fighting there can be no holiness while we live and no crown of glory when we die. We must fight. We must put to death sin. We must pursue holiness with all that we have. For God is a just God, and those that are watching us see whether we believe what we say we believe. They look at us, and they say, do these people really believe that there is a hell? Do you understand that? That's what your co-workers are thinking when they see you. Do they really believe that God is a just God and that hell is coming? If our lives don't show any different, then what do we say? We're saying with our lives, no, I'm not real sure. But if we live holy and set apart lives, knowing that Christ is Lord, then we say to our world what? God is a just God and He is returning. Take it seriously. So, first we see that we must take the Word of God seriously. Second, we see, notice, the reason to take serious the Word of God is found in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. Check your... Check your... <laughs> it's cute. 
<laughs> it's great. <laughs> Second Peter 3, 3. Look at it. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. This we see in this little paragraph, this little section, the reason we must take the Word of God seriously, that Jesus is going to return. Why must we take it seriously? Well, because in the last days, mockers will deny the Lord's return. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Now, the last days, guess when it started? It started when the church was started. That's the beginning. And he already had people that were mocking. Already during this time in the early church, people were saying, Oh, yeah, right. The Lord's coming back? Yeah, right. Judgment's really going to happen? Sure. That's what they were saying. And the same thing's happening today. The word promised, however, that God's final judgment is coming. The word says we should have a reverential fear of God because He will judge sin. We know from what we read in our Old Testament passage, right? That He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. God is a just God. And He does not let sin go. He's a just God. The Word says that we should obey the Lord, showing that we truly believe in Jesus because the Lord Jesus will return to judge the world. But the false teachers here, in Peter's day and in our day, deny the Lord's return to judgment, to judge. Their denial of Christ's return probably gave them the basis for their licentious living. See, if you know, if you think in your heart that God's not going to come back to judge sin, then guess what? You'll live however you want to live. You'll do whatever you want to do. They denied that Christ would return and judge. The apostates denied that the Lord would return. And there was a deni their denial had consequences. They had sinful behavior. Often the denial of the Lord's return is just another way of saying this. Everything will work out in the end. God doesn't take sin seriously. Do you hear me, beloved? This is so important. When we say that there is no hell, when we say that there is no justice of God, that God will not return and make things right, we're basically giving ourselves an excuse to sin. That's what the apostates did. We must take the word of God seriously. Even if the whole world mocks us for looking forward to Jesus' return, we must stand firm on these truths. We must believe them, and then we must apply it to the way that we live. The word may down or the world rather may downplay Christ's return. And I find it very interesting. The world loves to celebrate Jesus' birth, but they don't celebrate his return much, do they? Can you imagine? What would that holiday look like? Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, everybody that's in sin outside Christ will be judged. There will be fire. Nobody's wanting to celebrate that. Nobody's looking forward to that. 
Our world loves Jesus in the feeding trough. That's where they want to keep him. Or they keep him on the cross, as the Roman Catholics do, and he never rises from the dead. He's a ruling and reigning Lord. And one day he will return. We must take that serious. Hear me, beloved. Peter said that during the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, where is Jesus' return? We see at the heart of their rejection is their sinful pursuits in their desires and in their lusts. Look, if we know Jesus will return to judge, then we will live like it. We will pursue holiness. We will take the word seriously. And we will proclaim repentance and faith in Christ is your only hope. The mockers denied Jesus' return to judge. So they could indulge in their fleshly lust. Peter states, pursue holiness because false teachers will try to derail their pursuit by denying the accountability to come. That's what he's saying. He's saying these people are going to try to give you a way out. <laughs> they're, going to kind of, they're going to try to give you an excuse for the way you live. They're going to tell you, look, God doesn't, God's not really going to judge sin. It's okay. It's, it'll all pan out in the end. Everything will work out. Just let it go. It's okay. That's what they're going to tell you. But the Word of God says the opposite, right? The Word of God says what? Take God serious. He's the creator and sustainer of life. We must have a healthy, listen, healthy fear of God. A healthy fear, a reverential fear of God. Every true believer is looking forward to the Lord's return. Why are we looking forward to it? Because Jesus is going to make things right. I can't wait for that day. How about you guys? He will judge sin. He will destroy Satan. He will eliminate all sinful behavior. He will eventually even destroy the world and remake it in a perfect way without sin and any effects of this curse. I can't wait for that day. What a great day, right? Do you wake up like me and look at the news and say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait till he returns. At the same time, we should live in light of the truth that he is going to return. We have to understand, when you watch the news, I know you can get a little down and depressed and discouraged. You can look at it and go, man, this world looks like it's falling apart. It is falling apart. But Jesus is going to return. And he's going to make things right. And all Christians in the room say what? Isn't that good news? I'm excited. I'm thankful that this isn't the best now. This is definitely not our best life now, right? And this isn't even the earth's best, best life right now. It's groaning with anticipation of the Lord's return. And the revelation of the sons of God, as Romans 8 states. I find it interesting that most of the cults today deny a time of judgment. They believe in an annihilation view. That is, 
People just die and go out of existence. No real punishment for sin. Most of the cults go that way. Do you know that? But God's Word says God is just, and no sin will go unpunished. Either the God-man paid for your sins, beloved, or you will pay for your sins. Those are the only two options for everybody in the room. Either God paid for your sins through His Son's death on the cross and resurrection, or you will pay for them for eternity. That's a promise of Scripture. You say, well, Mike, that's awfully harsh. you got a lot of family members that are visiting here. You could have picked an easier, lighter message. Well, it was the next verse, beloved. Take it up with the providence of the Lord. And on top of that, it would be very unloving of us, wouldn't it? To watch you and not tell you the truth that God is a just God and that one day you will pay for your sins if you have not turned and trust in Christ. You must repent and believe. That's your only hope out of facing a just God one day. Punishment will happen for those that do not trust in Christ. I can't water this down. I will not water this down. Because then I would be doing the very things that the false preachers and false teachers did in chapter 2 and 3. <laughs> Do you see how, have you noticed this? You walk on a passage, there are certain passages where you're like, oh, I just, it would be so much easier to just jump over this one real quick. <laughs> just go to the next one. I love verse by verse scripture preaching. Because it forces me to deal with every single verse, even when I don't like it. And when it goes against my flesh. It's the next verse. So what are you here for? You're here for a baby dedication and to hear that God is a just God. And you will be punished for your sin if you do not repent and believe. That's what you're here for today. Because that was the next verse. Well, why didn't you pick a baby verse? Because it was Second Peter when we go through books of the Bible. The false teachers in Peter's day denied this coming. They said, where is the promise of his coming? Everything is the same since the fathers fell asleep. All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. The false teachers of our day deny this coming also. But we take the word of God seriously here, don't we? We pursue the Lord in holy obedience because the Lord is a consuming fire against his opponents. But he is a shelter and a hiding place for his children. We take the word of God seriously because it gives us hope in a lost and dying world. Next, Peter gives us the proper response to the mockers who deny Jesus' return. The response to the mockers of the word of God. See, if they were deny that Christ is going to come, if they deny that there's a just judgment to come, they're ultimately denying that God's word is true. They're saying, this is not going to happen. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, we see the Lord's sovereign word is the world's it, it, the Lord's sovereign word in the world's events. Look at 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, 
through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. I love this little section. This is really neat. I can't wait to unfold it for you. Peter here gives two responses to the false teachers in verses 5 through 9. We're going to deal with that first response in verses 5 to 7, the Lord's sovereign word in the world's events. And then we'll see in 8 and 9 the Lord's sovereign timing in the world's events. But let's look at the word in the world's events. And Notice in verse 5 it says, Notice that by the word of God. You see that? And then look at verse 7. But by his word. That, that concept of his proclamation is very important. It's the very thing that caused the creation of the world. God spoke it into existence. He determined it and then he spoke and it happened. His word is powerful, isn't it? It's the thing that actually carries out his determined will. The false teachers deny the prophetic word that the Lord would return and would judge. But God has shown throughout history his word is powerful, his word is active, and his word is decisive. When God speaks, it happens. And if God says something's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. We can count on it, can't we? Why? Because he's shown a track record that when he speaks, it happens. Example, let there be light. And it happened. God made it. He created the world by speaking it into existence. I know that's, the world goes, that doesn't make any sense. Beloved, he's God. He can make the world by speaking. He did it. He spoke it into existence. What God says will happen, happens. What God sovereignly determines to happen, will happen. When God declares, thus says the Lord, it is a guarantee to take place. It's a fact. The Lord's word spoke the world into existence. The earth was made in a way that it could then judge the world during the flood. Now, I want you to pay close attention here because this is a neat, neat, neat section. So by God's declaration, look at this. God made a planet prepared to demonstrate his justice. Look at it. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and earth was formed out of water. And by water. What in the world? I think this is better said between water and water, in water, through which the world at that time was destroyed. In other words, God made the world in a way, and, and you can go on answers in Genesis and read some of this stuff, but it's really neat. There was a canopy of water that when he first established the world, he made it with this canopy of water, and then there was a water below, and he made the world in a way that it was set up for what? the flood he made the world and it was beautiful and it was perfect but it also had within it the ability to judge the world we see this but by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire we'll see it's 
he's got the same concept coming up. The God, however, at the very beginning made a planet prepared to demonstrate his justice. So, in the same way, if you see in verse 7, he proclaimed the word, he made a world, he declared the world into existence, and he made it with that canopy, and then by his word and through his word, that canopy crushed down and all of this came about that the flood happened, God's judgment. Now look at verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. By God's sovereign word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for what? Fire. Fire, the judgment of fire. The planet is made and preserved for his final display of his justice. Again, we saw the example in the flood, didn't we? That God takes sin serious, doesn't he? And we know that through this, his, the world is also made to bring about his final judgment. God made the world through his word in a way it could judge the world during Noah's day. Now, God sustains the world through his word in a way that it can judge the world in his day of judgment. Now, I have a question for you. And again, that, this is something that I'm just thinking on. And these are those areas where it doesn't say it in the text. So I want you to be careful. Don't think I'm going too crazy here. Just hear me out. Have you ever wondered why the earth is a planet filled with fire? Have you ever wondered that? God's word is sovereignly preserved the world for a final judgment. I know, you're what? Did you know? Did you know that in the middle of the earth, the inner core, in the innermost part of the earth, is mostly a solid ball with a diameter of about 1,520 miles? You say, how in the world do they get all these calculations? Trust me, I read it. It's uh, sound waves. They do all these. It's amazing. The science that it shows that this is most likely true. There is about 70% that the earth core is about 70% as wide as the moon. And it has a composite of iron and some kind of other chemical, most likely nickel, in its core. And the temperature at the inner core is, you ready for this? Listen closely. 9,800 Fahrenheit. That is the same temperature as the surface of the sun. Do you understand? This is a wild truth. This science is amazing. Okay? So you've got sitting underneath you what? A big sun. You've got a sun down there. It's on fire. And guess what? I did more research. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. As I thought on this, wait, the earth was set up, flood set up for the destruction. We got this big ball of fire underneath us. And we also have this other little thing rotating around us. It's called the moon. Did you know that it has a core too? And it's on fire too? Huge. And there's another ball that's going around. So it has fire in it too. But we're also rotating around this gigantic thing called the sun. Beloved, do you think there's enough fire to take care of the world? <laughs> it's right here below us. 
and above us, and we're circling around it. I just thought on this. I was thinking, wow. God established the world to show in his providence to bring about his first judgment, and he established the planet. It makes sense, doesn't it? That at his final day of judgment, the world will be kept for judgment with fire. God has established a planet that's on fire and a sun that rotates around us that's on fire or we rotate around the sun and the moon that rotates around us that has a fire at its core. God is a just God, a just God that will not let sin go unpunished. He is the sovereign God who created the world and established the world for a final judgment. Notice also the Lord's sovereign timing. We'll conclude with that. The Lord's sovereign timing in the world's events. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. He says it again, loved by God. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Notice again, Peter addresses the believers as beloved, the love by God and love by Peter. The false teachers didn't get God's sovereign timing over creation. Now Peter explains that God's sovereign timing over the world events are based on His providence and His determination rather than man's understanding. God's timing is different than our timing. Get this. Do you understand, folks? God does things at a speed and a rate much different than ours. He thinks different than we are. First, what we call a long time is like a short time to God. And second, God's timing is based on His character, not our character. That's a good truth. Notice, God reckons time different than ours. But did, do not let this be one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now, beloved, it does not say, the Lord, with the Lord... One day is a thousand years. That's a very important difference. Why is that important? Because if we say one day is a thousand years, then we're all our millennialists, and Revelation 20 doesn't matter. A thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years. It means one day. No, it doesn't say that. It says what? Is like a thousand years. The point is this. In this context... That God's timing is different than what? Ours. The Lord's character is next. Notice it says, God reckons time based on His character, not ours. In verse 9 it states, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Uh, this is good news. This is very, very, very good news. The Lord's character is the basis of His so-called slowness. The world and its way of reckoning time is distorted. 
Plus, the world has faulty presuppositions, so it interprets scientific data incorrectly, and it thinks that the world has been around for billions and billions of years. They deny God. So they now say that the world is billions of years old, but God's timing is different than our timing. But we, have you ever looked at the world? Here's a question for you. And seen all the sin and thought this, this question. Why are you waiting so long? Anybody? Why? Why do you allow this to keep going on? Beloved, if judgment was based on our slowness to anger, the world would be gone. Truth? If, if the world was based on even the best, most patient person that's on the earth today, it would still be gone. But the earth is still around. And wickedness is still here because God is a patient God. He's a very long-suffering Heavenly Father. And I'm thankful for that. How about you? I'm thankful for that because he granted me repentance and I'm saved from the just judgment that I deserve. I sure am glad he waited until 22 years of my life. How about you? I'm thankful that God's timing is based on his character, not my character or your character. God is a patient God. The any and the all in this passage are all pointing back to the you. Notice, the Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any, and it's implied you, any of you, to perish, but for all of you to come to repentance. The idea is very clear, that God is patient, and He's patient with the world because He wants to bring all of His children to Himself. That God is is in the process of waiting for his determined will to call all of his own to himself. Another possible understanding of this verse, and this is very important, it's very difficult, but I want to, I want to lay this out real quickly, is that God's desire doesn't always match his ordained will. Now this is a difficult one. J.I. Packer brings this up, but I want you to listen to me closely. We know for a fact that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know that, right? Ezekiel 18.32 states, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. So God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So He has this desire. He has this desire that everybody would believe in Him and trust Him and obey Him. But that's not His ordained will so there's this idea where God desires for people to obey him and to worship him but he does not ordain for every single person to repent and believe now what do you do with that here's what you do you leave the tension alone you just leave it there God desires for all to come but not everyone comes only those that God has ordained. God, God, beloved, 
is bigger than we can comprehend completely. Listen closely. So what's your response? Well, I hope it's the same thing that you take seriously Ezekiel 18.32. Because I think that the call is the same. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. That's the command from the Lord. So in light of that, if you're here today, and again, I've been very evangelistic lately. The passengers are dictating this. I'm going to be evangelistic again today. If you're to here today, you've heard the gospel before, but you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, repent and believe in Christ. You need Jesus Christ. You don't need this world fixed. You need your heart fixed. You need a Savior for your sin. Repent and believe in Him. He is your hope. This is what the kindness and the patience of the Lord should call you to. Please listen to me, beloved. Christ is your hope. So we have an answer to mockers, don't we? God has worked in His creation and will work in His creation. Judgment is coming. Repent and believe. Second, God is sovereign over timing. His is different than ours. He works at His pace, His way, based on His character. So what should we do? Repent and believe. Everybody, understand. Listen closely. Christ is coming. Judgment is coming. Jesus is your hope. He came into the world to die for sinners like me and you. Turn to Him and believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ Jesus who came into the world to take our punishment so that we don't have to face the just judgment that the world will face. Father, help us to be lights in this world. Help us to remember these truths. Help us to be bold to proclaim these truths to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives to call them to repentance, to call them to trust in Christ. Please, God, help us to be a light to this world, to proclaim you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who reigns and one day will return. We thank you, Father, for this word. We thank you for the children that you gave us today and, and this dedication. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to do all this for your glory and your honor. Please, God, save. Please save people in this room. Please save people that we can witness to. Please save, God. You are the Savior of the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.